Well, we're, we're talking about discipleship. And, you know, discipleship is really about becoming a Christian um, by faith in Jesus alone, getting baptized, and then ultimately becoming a follower in our daily life of the person and the work and the words of Jesus Christ. Um, I think Eugene Peterson was, he was this kind of pastor. He's retired now. He's a pretty good pastor. Um, and um, I, don't, I don't know why I said pretty good. He was awesome. Um, but one of the things he said, I, and I'll just kind of take his little quote. He said, you know, discipleship is about long obedience going in the same direction. Discipleship is long obedience in the same direction. It's not perfection. It's just the direction of our life. And the question for you today is not, hey man, you know, I want to get this whole Christian thing down in one sermon or one church experience. I want to get rid of all the bad stuff out of my life. Really what today is about is what step is God calling you to take in your life and in your relationship with him today? Not about fixing all your problems, but responding to what he's saying to you. What's the direction that he's calling you to move in today? So that's kind of what we've been looking at, the series in the Gospel of Mark. Now today, I want to talk to you about rejection. Rejection. If you and I are going to be disciples in Jesus Christ, following Jesus Christ, then ultimately what you and I are going to have to be able to do is handle rejection. You cannot be a disciple of Jesus in a fallen world and not have the resources from God available to deal with rejection. I hate rejection, don't you? And I got to tell you that our fear of rejection, I mean, outside of even gospel or church or spiritual things, outside, just out in the world, one of the greatest problems that people have in their relationships and in their life is a fear of rejection. In fact, if you look up, if you just Googled it, I just Googled it. You're like, how hard is your, your job? I just Google it. Can I get an amen? I don't know how the Apostle Paul did his ministry before internet, but anyways. But I Googled it, and here's the thing. The thing is this, is that the number one types of phobias that people experience are social phobias. Social so when you get a list and you're like, okay, what's, what's the greatest fears that people have? Up at the top is issues of rejection. For example, I averaged it out. All the lists are different, but I averaged, well, I kind of did my own little averages. I don't know how scientific this is. I don't think it's scientific at all, but I'm going to say it anyways. But I, I averaged it out and I would say that like public speaking is one of the greatest fears that people have. Did you know this? It's like number two or three on every list, every list. Now, the fear of death is like averaging at six. That means that people would rather die than do what I'm doing right now. Now, either that means I'm courageous or I'm a fool. And Sherry, baby, would probably tell you I'm a fool. But anyways, you got to be kind of neurotic to get up and talk in front of people. Why? Why do people fear these things because we don't want to be rejected. <laughs> when was the first time you were rejected? I mean, for real, like hurtful. I, I was trying to think back, like what, what's my earliest member, m- memory of rejection? I would say it was Natalie King, second grade. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I fell in love with this girl. 
And, and the reason why I fell in love is because we're walking in from the playground, and she grabbed my hand, and she kissed my hand, and I went, I am in love. I went home, I told my mom, I'm in love with Natalie Kane. She said, you don't even know what love is. I was like, yes, I do. And then she rejected me the next day, and she wouldn't talk to me for two grades, like second grade to fourth grade. She wouldn't talk to me. I was devastated. Two summers, I wrote her letters. She wouldn't respond. Then she fell in love with me in fourth grade, and revenge is sweet. But anyways... These are devastating. And what happens is, is we begin to orient our life, the way we walk, the way we talk, the way we dress, the way we think, our imagination. We begin to uh, or, uh, uh, orient our life to a way to where everything we do is to avoid rejection. I strut the way I do because I got rejected by Natalie King, right? I mean, you know, I was like, I'm going to be a bad man now. You see, because... I wanted to avoid rejection. Now the problem is this. First of all, the good news is this. If you and I can figure out how to handle rejection and be courageous in the midst of a world that rejects us, you will change people's lives. You will change your relationships. You will change the quality of your life because you will no longer be in bondage to what other people think of you. And that is one of the most powerful things that can happen to a human being. But the problem is this, is that the moment you accept Jesus Christ, and the moment you begin to place your faith and your life on the Word of God, and you begin to walk in this world living the way, the truth, and the life of Jesus, you will be rejected. And it's going to hurt. Jesus said this in, in John chapter uh, 15. Jesus said, let me find it here. John 15, I am a professional. I know how to do this. Jesus said in John 15, verse 18, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Rejection. It's a promise. It's not maybe. It's not a could. Maybe you'll be rejected because of your faith. You will be rejected because of your faith in Jesus Christ. This world rejects Jesus. Now, there's tension here. Because I'll be honest with you. What I want to do is go, all right, all right I'm going to get rejected. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to start hitting people over the head with the Bible. I'm going to bring it on. I'm ready. I don't care what people think. I'm not going to be a people pleaser. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to hit the streets. And I'm going to make sure that I initiate this rejection. I'm going to fight and go out there. And when they reject me, I'll say, praise God. Stone me. Kill me. Hurt me. Put me in prison. It doesn't matter. Because I'm going to go out there and I'm really going to. Make sure that the world rejects me. Here's the tension. That is not what we are called to do. Because what we're called to do is to go out and to have compassionate hearts for people in a world that might hate us because of it. 
No matter what kind of rejection we experience, we are called to love, to serve, to be compassionate without being compromising. It's a difficult tension, isn't it? You and I have to love people in a world that hates Jesus. We have to love people who start out as our enemies. We have to pray for our enemies. We have to forgive. And we got to go out there and love people through the rejection so that maybe one day they will come to a place of acceptance. You and I, this is one of my favorite sayings and it's becoming now common here at Crosspoint, but you and I have to have thick skin and tender hearts. We, we got to go out there and keep loving the Natalie Kings of the world. The ones that one day will kiss our hands and the next day will reject us because of our faith. And we got to go out there and in a world that is anti-God, anti-life, anti-truth, anti-all the things that we hate about the world, we have to go out there and not let that affect our compassion or our love or our capacity to love other people. And why? Because God loved us when we were his enemy. Because God did not give up on us when we rejected him. Because when I was the enemy of God, he still pursued me with his grace. He still pursued me with forgiveness. And that idea has defined the way I go through my relationships, the way I go through life, is the forgiveness and the compassion of Jesus. So how do we do this? How do we handle rejection with compassionate and yet uncompromising lives, with thick skin and tender hearts? How can we do this? And I really think that, that what makes us uh, empowered to be able to walk in a world of rejection without fearing rejection, um, without uh, either fleeing it or fighting it, but just going out and just confidently and courageously living for Christ, I think the key tool is going to be understanding why the world rejects Jesus Christ. Do you know why the world hates God? Why does the world hate God? <laughs> why does the world choose lies over truth? Irrational lifestyles over rational lifestyles. Why is it that, that the political arena is so messed up? Why is it that, 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 that this world is so dark? Why does the world reject Jesus, his way, and God, and Bible, and truth, and virtue? Why? If you can understand why, I really believe you'll have compassion and yet be uncompromising. I believe you can have thick skin and a tender heart. So let's ask ourselves, why does the world hate Jesus? And let's go to Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 1. We're going to look at three vignettes in the gospel of Mark. They all surround rejection. The rejection of Jesus the rejection of disciples, and the rejection of John the Baptist with the beheading of John the Baptist. These, all these vignettes and narratives surround this theme of rejection. So we start with Jesus and his rejection in his own hometown. This is incredible. Let's read it real quick. Verse 1. It says, He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, 
the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, love this quote, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people, healed them, and he marveled because of their unbelief, and he went about among the villages teaching. Now, of course, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. So anytime Jesus is rejected, I'm like, what? Like, Jesus is awesome. Like, how can you reject Jesus? Like, he's great. But what's remarkable about this story is that he's being rejected by people who have always known him. He's being rejected by the, the, the elderly couple that saw him grow up. He's being rejected by his brothers and his sisters. And the reason why we know he's being rejected by his own brothers and sisters is because back in Mark chapter 3, they were rejecting him there. So we know that they're a part of the rejection as well. His brother James would ultimately come to faith later on in the book of Acts. But at this point in time, James is rejecting him. And we learn from this text a remarkable thing that Jesus didn't just have brothers. Jesus had sisters. So Mary was not a perpetual virgin right? She was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. The conception of Jesus, virgin birth, was a miracle of God. But afterwards, her and Joseph had regular marital relations, and and she ended up having all these kids. And, And so he had brothers and sisters. And it's remarkable that they are the ones that reject him. In fact, the text says that even Jesus himself marveled at their rejection. He was stunned. As a human being, a human man, fully, fully grown human man, he was marveling at their rejection. And there's only two times in the Bible this Peter, it's recorded in Mark chapter, or Matthew chapter 10, that he marvels at the Roman centurion's faith. Is my mic going in and out right now? It feels like it's going in and out. Is that the way you're hearing it? Are you, can you hear me Okay. Okay, cool. Where was I? Okay, he's marveling. And we marvel too. Why? It's because it's his hometown. Now, he says something. He says, he says, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. Now, this is going to be a key for us, this little phrase here. This is a proverb among the Jewish people. And what he's referring to is he's referring to all the prophets, the true messengers of God in the Old Testament, Isaiah and Jeremiah. And what inevitably happened to all of the prophets of Israel is they were ejected, especially in their hometown, especially by their relatives. And one of the foundational reasons why Jesus is bringing this up is because it's an apologetic for who he is. One of the things he's saying is he's saying, listen, if I were not rejected, then you should question my validity as being a messenger from God. Why? Because every time God sent a true messenger into the world, his relatives always rejected him. And so if Jesus is not rejected, if Jesus does not experience rejection, then he's not from God. Because everybody that God has sent to people have always been rejected and stoned and killed and beheaded and all of those things. So one of the things he's saying, he's like, hey, listen, that just only shows that I'm a true prophet. But, but, practically, 
Why is that? Why are prophets always rejected by their relatives and their hometown? And I'll tell you why. Because when you are familiar with somebody, you want them to be familiar. When, they, when somebody's been normal to you their whole life, you want them to continue to be normal. And when they come to you and they say, hey, I can do mighty works, they can pat us on the head and say, man, Josh is really growing up as a big boy now. And I saw him at VBS at summertime, but now he's doing mighty works. And if I'm eloquent with the word of God, they say, pat me on the head and say, well, Josh, I watched him grow up. I mean, I watched him. I had to put him in timeout like 10 times when he was in the Sunday school class. You know what I mean? And now he's so eloquent with the word of God. But if I come to my relatives in my hometown, people who are familiar with me and I say you've got idols you've got to repent and believe in me in order to be right with God well then it all changes doesn't it and you know what Jesus is doing Jesus is coming into his hometown and he's telling people who have known him his whole life the only way you are going to make it with God is if you repent and believe in me. You have to turn from idols. You got to turn from your functional saviors. You got to turn from the things that you've been depending upon. And I didn't come here to be eloquent. And I didn't come here for you to pat me on the head and to be proud of me. I came here to preach the kingdom of God. And you're going to have to repent and believe in me. And that's when the hometown drew the line and they could not see the mighty works anymore. They could not see the power of Jesus anymore. All they could see was a guy that frankly in their gossip came from a woman who had a questionable past because they weren't really buying into that virgin birth thing were they isn't this Mary's son it's funny isn't how people love to dig up dirt on us only when we become a threat to them we're fine to everybody until we become a threat isn't that true and now that Jesus is a threat well they're going to pull up those old stories that elderly couple when they were younger and they heard that Mary was impregnated and it was and it was rumored that it was from the Holy Spirit and overshadow and it was a miracle virgin birth now they're gonna pull it up and say yeah that wasn't really a miracle it's probably a Roman soldier that was probably some kind of some kind of fling that she had while she was engaged to Joseph and what was up with Joseph still marrying her after all that time and this is Jesus we've seen him he's common he's ordinary And we like that. We're not threatened by an ordinary guy who comes from a questionable family. But when he starts presenting himself as the son of God, well, now we're starting to deal in a whole new territory. Why does the world reject Jesus? I'll tell you why. Because the world wants Jesus to be ordinary. Because the world wants Jesus to be common. Because the world wants Jesus... The world wants Jesus to be just a religious figure, a nice little guru, one among many other religions, one one guy among many. And that nice little Christian religion over there in the corner is really cute and pretty and it's got stained glass and that's really neat. And it's one of the biggest religions in the world. And Jesus is one of the most influential teachers in the world. But when Jesus is presented as the son of God who demands allegiance to him to be saved and to be reconciled to God, who says he is bringing a kingdom that will overrule all the other kingdoms well he's no longer saying he's ordinary is he he's extraordinary and in his extraordinary nature he demands allegiance in every area of our life and let's all admit it we've all got this even as followers we got this 
Because we're okay when Jesus speaks to us in our hurts and gives us comfort. And we're okay when Jesus says that he loves us and he does love us. And we're okay when he says he'll never leave us or forsake us. But when he tells us to start tithing, that's a whole other realm, isn't it? He's no longer ordinary now. When he starts telling us to serve and and to share our faith, he's no longer ordinary now. I like Jesus ordinary because I'm safe with him being ordinary. But when he's the extraordinary son of God and he demands my repentance every day to follow him, that's a whole other ball game. And those of us who grew up in the church and we've been around Bible world our whole life, not all of us, but some of us, and we went to Sunday school and VBS and he's so familiar, our nose has been so, so close to the brush strokes of the masterpiece of Jesus that he's become familiar to us and he's asking us to take a step back and look at the big masterpiece. He's the son of God and he still demands your allegiance today. He still demands your repentance today. He still comes into our little synagogue, doesn't he? In our little town, in our little city. And he stands up and he says, I'm still the son of God. And I have extraordinary sovereign authority over every area of your life. And the only reason I'm in common flesh and I'm walking in sandals is because I love you. But that doesn't change the fact that I am the son of God. I am the son of God. You've got to give up your life today. I've got to give up my life today. And God save us from having an ordinary vision of Jesus to where I get to be a fan of Jesus. I put him on a hat or I put him a little fish on my car. Or I wear my little, my little Christian t-shirt. I do have a Christian t-shirt. It's pretty sweet. It says rebel with a cause. You know what I'm saying? Like, like that's cool and everything. But at the end of the day, Jesus is not looking for fans. He's looking for followers. He died to reconcile us to this extraordinary kingdom of light, to walk in the truth and to deny lies. Why does the world hate Jesus? Because he's not ordinary. He's extraordinary. He's magnificent. And safe religion isn't going to save you. And safe religion isn't going to save them. And ordinary little religiosity is going to change absolutely no one. Our little programs of religion and, and everything, such, it's a non-threat to the world. But when we go out, not with a program, not with religion, but with the person of Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life, well, that changes the whole game. And the world will reject it. The world will reject it. And there's parts of us that rejected even today. So we can have compassion, can't we? We get it. I mean, we got the Holy Spirit, man. We've, I mean, we got the Bible, man. I mean, I'm born again, dude. I'm like, I got, I got spiritual gifts and I got grace and I still deny Jesus. What am I to expect of people who don't have the Holy Spirit? What am I, what do I expect of them? They don't have the light. So of course they're going to reject this. That doesn't mean I say, how dare you reject Jesus? No, I get it. So I can have compassion. And yet I can be uncompromising and say, man, I I get where you're coming from. And I get you're rejecting Jesus. I I too struggle with that. But let let me invite you into someone who wants to use his extraordinary sovereign authority to save you. 
You see, at the end of the day, you know, the, the problem, let's see, how should I talk about this? Just trying not to say anything's going to get me fired. Uh, the, the problem is what I call homeboy theology. Have you ever heard? Homeboy theology is when we want to surround ourselves with people who have the same dysfunctions as we have so that we don't have to be accountable. <laughs> That's homeboy theology. That's, you know, it's like, it's like alcoholics will hang out with other out with other angry men. Um, uh, th- whatever our dysfunction is, we like to surround ourselves with the same culture of dysfunction because it enables us. And we don't, we don't feel like we have to be accountable. I'm going to change the mic here real quick. Um, and we, we, don't have to, we, we don't have to be accountable. You know what I'm saying? And that's what's happening here. The, these people, they want Jesus to be their homeboy. But the moment they figure out he's not their homeboy and he's not going to enable them to continue to be defeated in their life and sin and darkness, the moment he says, no, 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 I, I'm different. I'm taking you to a new community. I'm taking you to a new height. You see, that homeboy theology is, bl- is blinding them to the light of what Jesus is doing why does the world reject Jesus why does the world reject Christians because we represent an extraordinary Christ who is not in any way normal not in any way ordinary but the second reason comes in the next vignette when Jesus sends out his 12 disciples who are called apostles in this passage and it's really funny that he sends them out right after this hometown rejection because this, from a human perspective, looks like a failed mission to his hometown. It looks like he's not successful here in this hometown. And right after this failure of rejection in his own hometown, and he's kind of marveling, he's like, all right, boys, I'm going to empower you. You get to go out now and do what I do, which couldn't have at that particular moment been too encouraging to these guys. But listen to what it says here in Mark chapter 6 and verse 7. It says, And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two, and he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts. I I like that verse because they're called to radical dependence upon God. And, And I... I, I don't know if God's going to call you to ever do that, like to go out on a mission trip and do exactly that. But I will say that all Christians are called to a mission and a purpose and a ministry that will require dependence on God for its success. And if the only things that we ever do in our life are the things that we can do in our own strength and with our own perfect plan, if that's the only things we ever do, then we might be missing out on something that God's calling us to do. Maybe a mission trip, maybe sharing our faith, but, but somewhere along the line, he's going to require you to go out and depend upon him for provision and for words and all those things. Verse 9. He says, he does, he does allow them to wear sandals, hallelujah, but to wear sandals, not to put on two tunics, so no extra undershirts, amen. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there, and if any place will not receive you, 
And they will not listen to you when, when you leave. Shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and he healed them. Now, ultimately, this passage is about Jesus now delegating his authority and telling them to do what he's been doing all the way up to this point. So he's saying, okay, you've watched me do it. And this is how you kind of disciple people, right? Like, hey, watch me do it. Watch me do it. Watch me do it. Now go. You do it. And so he empowers them to preach, to cast out demons, and to pray over and to heal sick people by anointing them with oil. But it is interesting that he prepares them for rejection. He prepares them for rejection. He says, when, you, when you're rejected, he says, uh, if they won't receive you, and if they refuse to hear you, and refuse to receive your ministry, wipe the dust off your feet and leave. And what Jewish people used to do is when they would make pilgrimage to Jerusalem from Gentile lands, right before they entered into Jerusalem, they would wipe the dust off their feet because they didn't want Jerusalem to be defiled by Gentile uncleanness. So it's pretty provocative stuff. Jesus is saying, now you get to go into Jewish villages, and if they don't receive me as the fulfillment of all Old Testament uh, scriptures, as the new temple, as the new Israel, if, if they won't receive me, then they are no better than unclean Gentiles. Wipe the dust off your feet and walk out as a witness against them. Of course, the disciples do this, and ultimately they have some success. They cast out demons. They preach. People respond we can imagine that some rejected, some accepted, and this is the way it will always be. But the point for me, as I think about this text, is why does the world reject Jesus? And the reason why is because the world is under the power and the influence of the evil one. This is so important. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. In fact, let me read that one more time. It's good for our rehearsal. It's good for repeating. But it says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There is a ferocious power of darkness against the kingdom of God and all that is right and good. 1 John chapter 5 verse 19 says, this, these are so, I was reading this this weekend. I was like, thank you, Holy Spirit. That's exactly what I'm talking about this weekend. 1 John chapter 5 verse 19. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. That's why the disciples are, are equipped to cast out demons, to push back darkness, to go and, and preach this kingdom and gospel of forgiveness and repentance in Jesus Christ. They have to be empowered because they're going up against powerful forces of darkness. And our battle is not against flesh and blood. And here's the point. The point for you and I as disciples is to remember, number one, we're involved in a war of intense fury. 
And we have to trust in the Lord and depend upon him and his word and pray and, and realize that even things that feel ordinary are still under the influence of darkness. But we also have to remember that people are blinded by the God of this world. You say, yeah, but people are held responsible for their own sin and original sin and total depravity. And we, we believe in all of that. But, but when, you are, when you are lost and you're stuck in total depravity and you're, you're lost in original sin and you have nothing in you that's alive to God, Satan just wreaks havoc on people and they are trapped by the powers of darkness. And our job is never to hate people. That's a good place for an amen. We never hate people. I don't care about their politics or their sexuality or, or whatever decisions they make or whatever they end up doing or whatever ends up coming out of their mouth because our battle is not against flesh and blood. And too many believers are walking around with this bitter heart towards people and movements and things like that. Man, don't hate people, hate Satan. Pray for people. Because you and I, before we became Christians, I don't care how good you were. Before you were a Christian, you were trapped by Satan too. Whether it was religious moral pride or immoral worldliness or whatever it was, you were trapped too. And something broke through. A light of grace and awakened our hearts. And that means that the way we respond to final rejection, like, well, they're just not going to accept this. They're not going to accept Jesus. They're not going to accept me. It's not to hit them or to even curse them, but just move on. Everybody say, move on. Move on emotionally. Move on, move on relationally. Don't hold on to bitterness or, or, or to what against people because that's Satan's trick. And of course we want people to be delivered into lifestyles of goodness, into, into ideas that are rooted in truth. But these disciples are called to love people. And because they are able to move on and not be embittered, they are able to minister to the people that God has sovereignly called them to minister to. And people are delivered from demons. And people are healed of their sicknesses. And people do repent and believe in Jesus. Because they're able to handle the rejection by moving on graciously, lovingly, prayerfully. And they can move on to the ministry that God has for them. But how many of us are missing out on ministry because we're so focused on bitterness? And social media is gas on those fires. And 24-hour news is gas on those fires. I could care less what it does to our country. I do care what it does to the church. That's my job. That's your job. And if you are feeding the part of your flesh that's embittered against the stuff that's going on out there, and you're hating people, people you don't even know, talking heads, and you're hating people. You're cultivating something that is ruining your ministry. Ruining your influence. Ruining your significance. Ruining your opportunity to move on to the people that God's called you to. Because God hasn't called you to those talking heads. And God hasn't called you to all those voices on Facebook. God has called you to your neighbors. To your city. To serve in your job place. To pray for people. To send letters to people. To have real relationships. And if you need to cut some of that stuff out of your life to move on, then wipe the dust from your feet. Let unholiness be unholiness there and get to your ministry and love people and get 
the devil out of their life. I don't know. This is just as much for the church as it is for unbelievers, isn't it? Why does the world reject Jesus? Because they're trapped. I was trapped. Satan had me so stuck on stupid. And I saw Christians and made fun of them and thought they were stupid and cheesy and all those kids praying at lunchtime in their little holy huddles and with their Bibles and they're over there praying and, and I'm making fun of them. Why? Because I was evil. And I was trapped. And Jesus set me free. Because there were some Christians that were willing to love me despite myself. There were some Christians who were willing to pray with me. And to tell me about God's love for me. How can we have thick skin and tender hearts in a world that rejects our Savior? To remember that the world's trapped by Satan. That's why we're here. <laughs> You're like, why am I a Christian and living and breathing? So you can go. You push back darkness and you go love people. Push back darkness and go love people. Push and go. Push and go. But certainly don't stay and wallow and dwell in the poison and the nastiness of culture. You're like, but that stuff is really important. I mean, this is really, really important. Oh, it's as important as the kingdom of God. As important as the coming kingdom of Jesus. As important as human beings made in the image of God hearing about the message of reconciliation. I doubt it. I doubt it. Ooh, I'm fired up. Somebody must need that today. I don't know. I'm about to get rejected in my own hometown. Hallelujah. Why? Why does the world? Because it's trapped by Satan. <clears throat> and then we move to the beheading of John the Baptist. <clears throat> this is an incredible passage. Let me read part of it. Let's see, it's 1010. <clears throat> well, let's start reading and see what happens here. All right, Mark chapter, I'm trying to decide if I'm going to keep going with this sermon or not. Are you all hot? All right, we'll keep going for a few minutes. All right. <clears throat> Mark 6, verse 14, it says, King Herod heard of it. Man, King Herod, this guy, this cat, my goodness. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. And some said, so nobody knows what's going on. Disciples are casting out demons, they're doing ministry, people are getting saved. I mean, all this stuff is happening. And nobody knows what's going on. So they're trying to figure out what's happening. And so some said, well, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, no, 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 no. He is Elijah. And others said, he is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. So they're trying to figure out Jesus and the disciples and what's happening. But when, when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had... Who had, who had um, who had sent and seized John, bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Oh, Herod. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death. 
but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, he kept him safe. And when he, I love this part, when he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. This is Herod. Not to be confused with Herod the Great, by the way, this is Herod Antipas, one of his sons, because Herod the Great, his daddy had ten wives, everybody say ten, ten wives, it's a little bit of a dysfunctional family, I'm just going to say that. And Herod Antipas is the son, and he would go and hear John the Baptist preach, and he goes, I like listening to this guy preach. I like this guy. And he heard him gladly, but of course he heard him gladly until... John the Baptist told him, hey, you marrying your brother's wife, that is called sin, and you're going to be judged for it. And then he didn't like him anymore, right? We're going to have to pick it up next week. There's just no way. I'm not going to finish this sermon unless I absolutely, totally get rejected by you. So we will pick it up there. But let me just say this. What's the secret? What is the secret ultimately to living without fear of rejection for our faith, can I just tell you that the most important thing I could say to you today, the way you get over your fear of rejection is to remember your acceptance in Jesus Christ. God loves you. God will always love you in Jesus, no matter what. No matter what your fears or your brokenness, because Jesus died for us. And as we walk in the acceptance of God's love, and as the love of God is poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, we are empowered to love this world with compassion, but without compromise, with thick skin and tender hearts because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When I was his enemy, he died for me. And he says, nothing can separate me from the love of God and Jesus Christ. I am accepted by God. And so I don't, at the end of the day, have to be accepted by anybody else. Amen? God's kind of good enough. Now, it just so happens that he's given me the gifts of being accepted by my wife. My daughters like me most of the time. Hallelujah. Most of you like me and encourage me and I encourage you. And as we're in life groups, we encourage one another. So on top of divine love that is unconditional and undying, we have our love for one another. Isn't that enough to be able to go out and not be afraid of rejection anymore? It is. So we'll talk more about this next week. Let me pray. Father, despite microphones, length of sermon, your word has gone out and we are grateful and we pray that you would bless it to our lives and our hearts. There have been some things in this sermon that, are, that we just got to work through um, in our life. And there are other things that are encouraging. Lord, may it be the balance of these two by your Holy Spirit that leads to our growing discipleship. And Lord, if there's somebody here who needs to cross the line of faith, who needs to leave the domain of darkness to come into the kingdom of light and love, May you give them the grace to believe in your good, eternal son, Jesus, who died and defeated death, who is extraordinary in every realm, in every area of life. So we give you this sermon and these moments in your word and pray that your will would be done. In Jesus' name, amen.